Hey, everybody. Welcome to November. It's November 1st, 2023. I'm Moshe Wanunu. This is the Mo News Podcast. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I'm told by the internet today that it's National Cook for Your Pets Day and National Vinegar Day. Apple cider vinegar is really having a moment. I feel like it's become this cure-all for any ailment, any, like, your dishwasher has a weird smell, (laughs) run some apple cider vinegar. Uh, Mosh, more importantly, how was your first Halloween with Baby O? So I have to say, I've never been a big Halloween person. I know some people are, like, obsessed with it. Some people are, like, slightly interested in it. I've never really been that interested, even as a child. I Like, I didn't like dressing up. I like the candy (laughs) element of it. As like an adult, like I didn't get like the people in their 20s who like got drunk and like, again, dressed up and made a big deal. I was like, we're too old for this. I was always too old for this. But I will say this. This year's Halloween, the first time as a parent, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I like Halloween as a parent. I like watching the kids. I like, I mean, she's only five weeks old, but it was still very cool. I totally hear you. There is nothing sweeter than your kid dressed in a cute costume. It's just the best. <laughs> I will say, though, Olivia is at that really easy age. You're, what, what are you either yeah. carried her or put her in the stroller? Just wait. She, yeah, she slept yeah. through part of it. Yeah. <laughs> wait until they start trick-or-treating and you're just like permanently yeah. stressed. Like, where did they go? <laughs> Do you see the, the cheerleader? Jill, I get the sense that trick-or-treating was a bit stressful for you <laughs> last night. It was actually fun. It, it's just it's chaos. It's pure and utter chaos. And then the candy and it's a lot, but it is fun. Right. Because Alex is five now. Correct. So this is like a a moment. It felt different for you this year. Yes, because she is trick or treating with her friends and she wants this Mm. autonomy where she can run up to the houses and, you know, run from house to house, which you totally like the parents kind of stay back on the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. but she's still a little too young to, to realize some of the dangers that are out there per se, you know, the cars and this. So yeah. Anyway, I'm sure parents can relate. It's, it's fun, but I'm just happy it's over. Jill, as we tape here, are you wearing a costume still? (gasps) Well, I'm not wearing a costume per se, but I'm wearing a, I guess a funny t-shirt that I can zoom down. If you're watching this on the tube, it says uh, for you listening, for everyone listening, I'm not for everyone. Jill explain. I'm not. <laughs> I think it's self-explanatory. All right. Making new friends out there on the trick-or-treating I run. I think tonight. if you're for everyone, yeah. you're for no one, right? Like if if that's my thing. It's I like, believe that's a line from Hamilton. I think that's what Hamilton says about Aaron Burr. You got to stand for something. Yes, you got to be about something. I used to say that's my producer at CBS all the time. I'd be like, I'm not for everyone. And we used to laugh at it. So I sent her a picture of myself in this T-shirt. I happened to just see it at a store and thought it was funny. So I got it. And I thought Halloween was Mm -hmm. the perfect day to wear it. All right. Sounds good. Jill, do we have any news to report today? Mosh, don't make me do it. I don't <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll do it. It's a, We have some lighter fare on the, at the end of the pod today. People are probably thinking there's a lot more chit chat at the top. And I think it's just because we don't want to talk about the news because it's so depressing. Yeah, we're procrastinating. All right. Let's get to the headlines. Starting in the Middle East, Israel says that it targeted a top Hamas commander at a refugee camp in northern Gaza. But there's been pushback from some of the international community and Hamas saying dozens were killed in the strike. Here in the U.S., the FBI is warning of increased terror threats in the United States. And in other news, President Biden set to meet China's Xi Jinping next month in San Francisco. 
And in business news, the Justice Department is trying to block JetBlue and Spirit's planned merger. In Southern California, a wildfire has prompted evacuation orders for thousands of people. And speaking of the environment, scientists have returned rescued corals after protecting them from that Florida heat wave, the heat wave that was in the water. A new plan in Minnesota to drop the requirement for a four-year degree for most state jobs. And Mosh, why having too many showers might actually be bad for your health. Define too many showers, Jill. Once a day. Ooh, we can have a discussion about <laughs> I this. I think kind of the norm. Um, and Mosh has on this day in history. Near, far, wherever <laughs> you are. Titanic, Celine Dion. There was a lot of directions we could go with it. There's something there. We got a little Elvis Presley. We got a little NBA. And uh, I tell you a bit about the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo's big achievement on this day. All right, let's start in the Middle East. The Israeli military taking responsibility for an airstrike in the northern Gaza neighborhood of Jabalia on Tuesday. They claimed it took out Ibrahim Biari, a top Hamas commander who was one of the leaders of the October 7th attack. They say he was hiding among civilians. The IDF says that the operation targeted underground tunnels that lead to the coast, as well as a weapons production facility and rocket launch positions. The IDF also saying that a large number of terrorists were killed in the strike, which also led to the collapse of an underground infrastructure that they were using. Now, that Jabalia refugee camp is the largest of the Gaza Strip's eight refugee camps. It has about 40,000 residents, though we should note that the camps have been around since the 1940s. They are effectively just large urban neighborhoods now with infrastructure and buildings. So this isn't like um, when you think of a refugee camp, like a tent city. That's not this. Right. Like the new ones that have gone up. This one's been there for a long time, but they, um, for a variety of reasons, keep the label on it. But most photos from the scene showed these really, really large craters and widespread damage. It is not clear how many people were killed. One reporter from CNN said that there were literally kids carrying injured kids. Photos showed bodies that were covered by white sheets. And this is sparking even more anger, particularly in the Arab world. The Egyptian, Jordanian, Saudi Arabian, and Qatari foreign ministries have issued statements condemning the strikes. In response, the IDF is saying Israel had warned civilians in that area in northern Gaza to evacuate for the last two weeks. They say they specifically struck in between two buildings in an effort to kill Hamas terrorists that were in the tunnels below and that because the tunnels were destroyed, some of the nearby buildings collapsed. And they've also pushed back on claims that a large number of children and women were killed. Uh, but again, the optics here, not good. Right. Keep in mind, you know, we put up some video on the Instagram account yesterday of what the tunnels look like. And there's just hundreds of miles of them kind of built in loops underneath Gaza infrastructure, underneath Gaza City. So the challenge here for the Israelis as they target these tunnels is uh, when they take them out, they effectively collapse some of the buildings that they're built under. And so that all continues as the Israeli ground forces continue to make their push into Gaza. The Israeli prime minister continuing to rule out a ceasefire, saying they need to do some real damage to Hamas uh, before they would even consider any of that. And by the way, return all of the hostages. Now, they're not calling this new phase of the war a full ground invasion. They're calling it an expanded operation or a new phase of the war starting to take territory uh, around northern Gaza, around uh, Gaza City. 
that's where the majority of Hamas uh, terrorists are headquartered. At the same time, I mentioned the hostages. Hamas says yesterday that they're considering the release of all foreign hostages. Right now, of the 240 or so hostages, more than half are actually foreign hostages carrying foreign passports from 40 different countries. It's unclear whether the Hamas offer is just foreigners who are just from foreign countries or whether they would include dual passport holders. There's a number of people who have an Israeli passport along with a foreign passport. So unclear there uh, what the deal may be. As of late Tuesday, just four of the hostages have been released by Hamas. One has been rescued by the Israeli military. Let's go now to the latest in the humanitarian situation in Gaza. At least 66 humanitarian trucks crossed the border into the Strip yesterday. That's the highest single-day delivery so far. The Israelis have now agreed to up to 100 trucks of food and medical supplies to cross daily. Uh, That still is less than the pre-war average of 450 humanitarian aid trucks, but still a major increase from what we saw last week. Those trucks will be crossing in from Egypt, what they call the Rafah boarding crossing. Uh, and that's going to remain open today also to let in a few dozen Palestinians who were injured in Gaza complete their treatment in Egyptian hospitals. Uh, that's according to the Egyptians, though the crossing still remains closed to civilians. That includes jail, several hundred Americans who are trapped right now inside the Gaza Strip. And according to reporting on the ground, they say it is Hamas that is not letting the people leave, that they are stopping the Americans and and any other foreign nationals from leaving. Right. It's a complex situation because you have the Israelis, you have the Egyptians, and you have Hamas. They're dealing with various border stuff. Um, The Egyptians have been blaming the Israelis for the holdup in letting aid trucks in because the Israelis want to inspect them for weapons. The other way around, letting people out of the Gaza Strip, that appears to be Hamas's responsibility, and that's where the holdup appears to be. Motion again, we'll have to wait to see what the fallout is from the strike on Jabalia, because the optics, as I mentioned, not good, not clear at this point, how many people were killed. It's hard to get a gauge because Hamas doesn't separate, as we pointed out, Hamas members deaths from civilian deaths, from children deaths. Right. So it's it's hard to really understand. Um, but the images were hard to see, you know, and, and no matter where you fall on the side of this conflict, to see the suffering, you know, and to see kids yeah. crying like that, it's its really painful. To see the toll this continues to take on the Palestinian civilians just is heartbreaking and tragic. And, you know, this war is so tragic in so many ways. And we've talked about this previously, but, you know, this is one of the first wars, along with Ukraine, Russia, probably we're seeing play out day by day on social media, you know, for so many centuries, you know, war was sometimes you got photos at some point and then you got film strips and then cable news was you know with the advent of cable news in the 80s and 90s you started to get some real-time coverage but social media takes things to the next level um unfiltered of course you know there's accurate stuff there there's misinformation stuff there but we're watching this play out in real time and um it's heartbreaking given the complexity of the situation the the terror attack the counter-strike the civilians the hostages there's just so many elements here And Moj, I do think that it speaks uh, just to the challenge that the Israeli military faces here and some of the questions that they're getting kind of what is the plan? What is the end game? What comes next? And even just the military challenge itself, Hamas is so dug in in these tunnels, uh, hundreds of feet below ground. Yeah, and this is the concern uh, the White House and Pentagon have had, knowing that, you know, they agree Hamas needs to be taken out here. But at what cost, both on the Israeli side, the Palestinian civilian side, and when it comes to the image of Israel and the West in that part of the world? 
Meanwhile, FBI Director Christopher Wray warning that Hamas's actions in the Middle East could inspire other terrorist attacks, including right here in the United States. He told a Senate Homeland Security Committee, quote, we assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate years ago. Ray testified alongside Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They say their concern is that violent extremists, individuals, or small groups will draw inspiration from those events in the Middle East and then carry out attacks against Americans who are just going about their daily lives. And that includes not just homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization, but also domestic violent extremists targeting Jewish or Muslim communities. We reported a six-year-old Palestinian boy was stabbed to death in Illinois earlier this month. Ray also saying the FBI arrested a man in Houston last week. He was studying how to build bombs and posted online about his support for killing Jews. Yeah, the FBI says that they have multiple ongoing investigations here into people affiliated with Hamas. A Nevada man has been jailed on charges he threatened Senator Jackie Rosen, a U.S. senator from Nevada, with repeated anti-Semitic phone messages following the Hamas terror attack. And in New York, Governor Hochul here said there's a person of interest in custody by the FBI in connection to the threats we told you about earlier this week against Jewish students at Cornell, threats of killing them, um, sexual violence against Jewish women. We're still awaiting details on who that person is. Meanwhile, in Washington, an update on the uh, aid package uh, set to go to Israel. Right now, diplomatic and U.S. military leaders are urging a divided Congress to send aid to both Israel and Ukraine. You might remember Biden's big address recently. He called for $106 billion in aid, including Ukraine, including Israel, including Taiwan, including the U.S. border. But there are a whole number of Republicans that are done with Ukraine. They're done giving aid to Ukraine. And so House Republicans are looking to just give the $14 billion or so just to Israel and split off the aid for Ukraine. In fact, they also want to attach it to cutting the budget for the IRS. So things are getting a bit uh, complicated on Capitol Hill uh, with new Speaker Johnson. And so we'll see what comes of that. All right, Jill, let's take a break here from the news for a hot second. Thanks to some of our sponsors. Parlez-vous français? <laughs> Habla espanol? Si, un poco. Well, Jill, if you're looking to increase that Spanish know-how or your knowledge about another language, right now we have a new sponsor here called Babbel. The best way to learn a language is through immersion, living where the language is spoken. But of course, you can't do that. That's not possible for all of us. So what's the second best way to learn language? Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L. Because with Babbel, you can start speaking a language in just three weeks. I started Spanish Lessons with Babbel last month. I do need to get back to them, but I have been liking their process so far. The thing about Babbel is instead of a private tutor, this works. There's quick 10-minute lessons. They're designed by language experts in a whole number of languages, uh, real people for real conversations. You might remember the language classes you took in high school where you you know learned various words that you're never going to use. What I like about Babbel, they're rooted in real-life situations. If you travel to a country, there's practical things that you immediately learn. And right now, they have a limited special deal right now for the Mo News audience. 55% off, 55, 55% off Babbel right now. You can head to babbel.com, that is B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Mo News to get our discount. That's just about $6 a month to learn a new language. Again, the deal, 55% off at babbel.com slash Mo News, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Mo News. Rules and restrictions do apply. 
And Mosh, we always talk about our super busy days and how, uh, especially with kids, it's hard to find time to eat. Well, here comes Factor. I got a few of their ready-to-eat meals and juices last week. I am particularly enjoying all of the juices, which have been great as I've been battling this cold. I particularly enjoyed the spinach and mushroom chicken thighs. Delicious, uh, but all of the food was really good. They come on ice, ready to put in the fridge, and then eat right away. They are chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. If you are too busy this fall to cook, but you want to make sure that you are eating well with Factor, you could skip the extra trip to the grocery store and all the chopping and prepping and cleaning up while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. And these aren't your parents' or grandparents' frozen TV dinners. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. And then you get back to just crushing your goals. 35 weekly chef-prepared meals. There are so many healthy options, including bowls and salads ready to go. And that means no microwave is even necessary. And now we do have a special deal for Mo News customers. Head to factormeals.com slash Mo News 50 and use the code Mo News 50 to get 50% off. That is code Mo News 50 at factormeals.com slash Mo News 50 and you get 50% off. Time now for the speed read from CBS News. A wildfire fueled by gusty Santa Ana winds ripped through rural land southeast of Los Angeles this week, prompting almost 4,000 people to have to evacuate their homes. The so-called Highland Fire erupted at about 12.45 p.m. Monday in dry, brushy hills. As of early Tuesday, it spread to over 2,200 acres. By Tuesday morning, another evacuation order was added for people living in areas north of the San Diego County line. The region, though, is pretty sparsely populated. It has horse ranches and a large mobile home site. Uh, No injuries reported. Winds going up to 25 miles per hour with higher gusts drove the flames and embers through grass and brush. They were dried out by recent winds and low humidity, so it was like kindling for the blaze. The winds were expected to ease somewhat overnight, and so right now they're trying to box in the fire. Southern California is seeing its first significant Santa Ana wind conditions here. These are strong, hot, dry winds typically descending from the Pacific coast into the inland desert regions, and they have fueled some of the largest and most damaging fires in recent California history. Though thankfully for California, it hasn't been too bad a year when it comes to fires because of all that rain that they got earlier this year. So let's keep our fingers crossed that things don't get that much worse. All right, from Politico, we have learned that President Biden will meet with President Xi Jinping of China this month during an economic summit in San Francisco, and it marks a significant diplomatic moment between the two great world powers whose relationship has grown increasingly hostile. The meeting of the two countries' leaders comes after a flurry of diplomatic visits in recent months aimed at breaking the ice in the U.S.-China relationship. The trip also comes on the heels of a promising week in U.S.-China relations after Governor Gavin Newsom of California was well-received in China during a visit centered on climate cooperation. And as the Chinese foreign minister made the diplomatic rounds in Washington, a meeting between the two pivotal world leaders could still be awkward, given that Biden labeled Xi as a dictator over the summer, causing its own flare-up of tensions. The two countries' ties took a nosedive earlier this year after that Chinese spy balloon flew across the continental U.S. in February. Simpler times, Jill. Remember the balloon? 
what I would give for that to be the lead story. (laughs) The ongoing political tenor around China in the U.S. continues to be dicey, and it will especially be dicey around the election as the presidential candidates will basically be trying to portray themselves as the one who's going to be stronger when it comes to China, something that China does not love. No, no, they don't love uh, negative sentiment. Jill, there's a lot to discuss with China. As we've noted before, we love this comparison. A friend of the pod, Ian Bremer, who's been on a couple times, has said that China and the U.S. are basically two divorced parents trying to figure out custody of the world, the two largest economies, uh, and basically two people managing the globe these days. So there's a lot to talk about. Trade, cybersecurity, technology, foreign diplomacy, fentanyl. Uh, fentanyl that comes from China, goes to Mexico, is used by the cartels and then shipped up to the U.S. and killing a record number of Americans. Uh, the outbreak of war in the Middle East will certainly come up, especially as China has been looking to get more relevant there, uh, has been staying close to Vladimir Putin, staying close to the Iranians. They're buying a lot of energy there. Never even condemned the terror attack, by the way, by Hamas and has been uh, particularly uh, sympathetic to the Palestinians. So Interesting moves by China. You know, China's very, very slow moving, but very precise with its words. And so you see this alliance coming up between the Russians, the Chinese and the Iranians. So it'll be interesting to see what potentially is said there. We should note that Biden and she met last November uh, during a G20 summit. And so uh, one year later, uh, they'll get together and hopefully, you know, continue to reduce tensions because that's one of the big concerns uh, we're all worried about is, you know, things should not get too hot between the U.S. and China. That has huge ramifications. From Reuters, the U.S. government argued on Tuesday that JetBlue's planned $3.8 billion acquisition of ultra-low-cost carrier Spirit Airlines will lead to higher fares and fewer flights. It came as the Justice Department urged a federal judge to block the deal at the start of a closely watched antitrust trial. JetBlue called the deal pro-consumer and has sought to ease U.S. regulators' antitrust concerns by agreeing to sell off Spirit's gates and slots at certain airports in New York City, Boston, Newark, and Fort Lauderdale. But the Justice Department has said that those divestitures are not enough and sued in March to block the deal. It is suing alongside Democratic attorneys general from six states and D.C., So this deal, by the way, would create the fifth largest airline in America. JetBlue argues it needs to buy Spirit in order to be able to compete with the four biggies, American, Delta, United, and Southwest. The four of them control about three quarters of the U.S. market. You might remember at one point Frontier was going to combine with Spirit. People were like, well, that's going to be a pretty terrible airline. JetBlue decided to get involved here. uh, But the government says this is a bad idea. We've probably allowed too many airlines to merge and get acquired in recent years. It wasn't so long ago, 20, 25 years ago, where we had dozens of airlines in this country, and they've all eaten each other up. So the Justice Department here is arguing that JetBlue has an internal analysis that projected its fares would increase 30% once Spirit is not a competitor. Passengers would suffer roughly $1 billion in net harm. That's according to the government. Now, JetBlue is arguing that uh, the case is a misguided challenge, that the two airlines only control 8% of the domestic market, especially you know when it comes to the domination by the other airlines. So interesting choice here by the government to fight this, what a judge may determine, uh, and what a, you know, a JetBlue spirit tie-up would really mean to us consumers. But they fly into some smaller airports, smaller markets, and so there's a legitimate concern that you know now that there's no competition there, They'll have no reason but to raise uh, airfares. 
from Axios, scientists are returning 5,000 corals back to the sea after protecting them from record high ocean temperatures off the coast of Florida. It follows an extreme conservation measure that created a refuge for genetically diverse coral species on land for three months. Coral reefs provide shelter for over 25% of ocean animals and are a major driving factor of tourism. But coral can only survive in a narrow temperature range. The water is too warm. Coral expel algae that lives in their tissues, which cause them to turn white. It's known as coral bleaching, and it makes them more susceptible to further heat stress. But just because they are back in the ocean, researchers say it is not an all clear for the coral. In the next three to six months, they may be more susceptible to disease outbreaks. Physically removing vulnerable corals from the ocean during heat waves is not a viable long term strategy, they say. But they do want to maintain this genetic diversity of the reefs with the goal of breeding stronger corals that perhaps are more heat resistant as we're seeing those temperatures reach insane levels. I've heard it described like this uh, by oceanographers and environmentalists who understand the ocean, that coral reefs are effectively the rainforest for the ocean, for the sea life on the floor. And so, you know, to us above ground, it's like, oh, you know, coral reefs are beautiful. I can scuba or snorkel and see them. Uh, but if they go, you know, that's a shame. It's more than a shame. I mean, literally, it's it's key to the ecosystem of our ocean. And the Earth is majority oceans. And if you start to see sea life go there, it throws a lot of stuff out of whack. And that's why coral reefs are so important. Jill, you mentioned the temperature increases. You know, we've seen record temperatures in the 90s to low hundreds, you know, hot tub like temperatures, which uh, they're concerned about it bleaching coral reefs and permanently killing them off in lots of places. The UN Climate Science Panel warned back in 2018 that if warming on Earth exceeds the one and a half degree uh, Celsius above pre-industrial temps, that's the big concern, and we're getting pretty close to it, the likelihood of widespread bleaching and uh, sea life dying out would dramatically increase. Yeah, when those temperatures hit those record highs, they had scientists go underwater to see all of those corals that they had been working on. And they came back up in tears in some cases because it was just like like their life's work, <laughs> which was to restore these coral reefs, was gone literally in days. Yeah, in Florida, nearly half of the reefs uh, they found recently died due to heat stress. 90% um, total exhibited signs of heat stress. So uh, what's next here? NOAA plans to conduct another survey in January to get a fuller picture of the warming waters around Florida's coral reefs. But this is an issue globally. From USA Today, Minnesota is making some big changes in an effort to get more people in the state employed. The governor, Tim Waltz, signs an executive order this week under which 75 percent of state government jobs will no longer require applicants to have a college degree. He wrote on Twitter in Minnesota, if you are qualified for a state job, then you have a fair chance at competing for it with or without a four year degree. In that executive order, he says the state is one of the largest employers in Minnesota with hiring at a five-year high. And the recently enacted 2024 and 2025 budget requires that the state recruit and hire additional employees to fill the gap and ensure uninterrupted delivery of services. So apparently the state, they're having hiring issues, why they're loosening things up. They still will require like a certificate of sorts, but they don't want to create more barriers to state job opportunities. And Jill, it's still a competitive job market out there. So clearly state government's trying to find new ways to get people through the door. And finally, Mosh, the story we've been waiting for from the New York Times. <laughs> Do you really need to shower every day? 
Yes, please. No. Okay. <laughs> well, depends. Depends on certain odors. Okay, so there is no standard approach, but here's how to figure out the right frequency for you. If you feel the need to shower daily, you are certainly not alone. In a survey from 2021 of nearly 6,000 adults, over 60% said that they showered at least once a day. Yet dermatologists say that many people do not need and may not want to shower this frequently. One saying that there is no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to washing skin and hair. The ideal frequency actually depends on your skin and hair type, how much you sweat, and how dirty you get. And this doctor also saying showering too frequently can definitely dry out your skin, worsening redness, itchiness, and flaking, and triggering eczema flares. Jill, do you shower every day? I do, Moshe, but I do not wash my hair every day. I only do that two or three times a week. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Though at the same time... <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for approving of my hygiene routine. I do approve. I haven't seen your water bill <laughs> lately, but I imagine you know that makes sense. But of course, everyone's different, I'm told, based on this New York Times story. Some people benefit from lathering up every day. For instance, if you sweat a lot, whether from exercise, your job, or just your natural perspiration, it is important to rinse away the sweat and the buildup that contribute to clogged pores and breakouts. If you have oily hair, you may want to shampoo daily. I mean, your hair must have to be really oily to have to shampoo daily, but I guess that is a thing for some people. Uh, dry shampoo, obviously an option here. Jill, I'm talking to my dermatologist about this a couple of years ago. They mentioned, you know, if you're going to shower every day, you don't need to always soak like your arms and your legs. Um, unless, of course, like you did something particularly like, you know, you really worked out hard, you got really sweaty or you got dirty. You know, it's more of the crevices of the body, the <laughs> right. armpits, right. that you want to soap because otherwise you'll lead to like, you know, dry back and dry legs. And, you know, most cases, if you're wearing pants for the day and you're not doing anything really active, you don't do that. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a revelation. So I have to kind of, I have that note in my mind as I shower, like, okay, Mosh, like, don't get, a, don't get too aggressive on like soaping your arms today. Like the like, loofahs with the body wash, <laughs> perhaps unnecessary. Exactly. So I guess, you know, see your local physician. Jill and I are not dermatologists. We read this New York Times story. Um, but I'm still a daily shower, Jill. At one point in my life, I was a morning shower person. And then I converted to nighttime showers. In fact, I think it's when I met Alex because she's like, you go to bed without showering at night. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a morning shower person. She's like, absolutely not. <laughs> that's that's so interesting. And I've converted because, uh, you know, I remember like I switched at some point as a kid, like maybe it was junior high or high school into morning showers. And my parents, because I had grown up, you know, as a kid, you have a shower at night. And then I'm like, I'm an adult and I like showering in the morning or whatever. And I think that continued for a couple of decades. And then I, I converted back to night showers. And it makes sense. I didn't really think about the whole like you're going to bed with all the Whatever. You should wash your face, though, I feel like, before you go to bed, even if you don't shower at night. I have more thoughts, Jill. Should I continue? No, it's so, it's, it's so interesting. And I'm just trying to think. I'm actually the 1% of people who I think do midday showers because I work from home. And so I usually work out in the late morning and shower after that. So it's sort of like a mid. Okay day but i still have a lot of day after interesting it. so a lot of days so you're going to bed sometimes after being awake for nine ten hours without a shower Moshe, as my shirt says i'm not for everyone all right that brings us to on this day in history we're going to be in the 16th century chill 1512 on this day the ceiling of the sistine chapel in rome in the vatican 
painted by Italian artist Michelangelo, was exhibited to the public for the first time. It was a more than four-year project for the 40-year-old artist. If you've been there or seen the pictures, these are epic ceiling frescoes. They took several years to complete. The most famous one is the creation of Adam. That's the painting that shows the arms of God and Adam stretching towards each other with their fingers. Of course, Michelangelo would complete the work in 1512, as we told you, but the Vatican liked his work so much they would invite him back. And for the next four, nearly five decades, he came back and continued to paint other parts of the building. Have you ever been on the uh, full Vatican tour? I've never been to the Vatican, so no. It is worth, if you're ever in Rome, when in Rome, Jill, I've never been to Italy. Well, Jill, they heard that your favorite pasta was angel hair. <laughs> so on the now podcast I'm not allowed. <laughs> They're like, Jill, you're going to have to try some other pastas before we let you in here. Do you guys have pizza? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in 1946, the first NBA game was played between the New York Knickerbockers and the Toronto Huskies. In that first game, the Knicks would go on to win by two points. The league at that point had 11 franchises, and the only two which remain still where they were, Boston Celtics, New York Knicks, the OGs. Of course, the NBA is triple the size these days. On this day in 1950, Harry Truman escapes assassination. A pair of Puerto Rican activists looking to uh, push an independent Puerto Rico attempted to shoot him just across the street from the White House. They ended up killing a U.S. Secret Service officer. Uh, Truman, though, Harry Truman, president, pretty unfazed. He, he says after the assassination attempt, quote, a president has to expect these things. And he moved on, continued his day and continued his term. Interestingly, the a man who took shots at Truman, Oscar Colazzo, was sentenced to death but in an act of forgiveness, Truman actually commuted the sentence to life imprisonment a few years later. I will end here, as we typically do with a bit of pop culture, on this day in 1969. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out. Elvis Presley's Suspicious Minds hits number one in America. Jill, it was his last number one hit. And one of my personal favorite Elvis songs. It's a good tune. It's a good tune. On this day in 1997, a little film by the name of Titanic had its first public screening at the Tokyo International Film Festival, the uh, James Cameron classic. We all know it. We know the soundtrack. We know the lines from the film. Would become one of the highest grossing films of all time, making a young Leonardo DiCaprio and young Kate Winslet international stars. Moshe, I saw that movie three times in the movie theater. Which is a huge commitment, given that it's it's three hours long. Back when movies cost, what, five, six bucks back then, Joe? Moshe, as always, simpler times. And finally, on this day in 2004, this is for the millennials who listen to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. This is the jazzy fizzle. <laughs> Sierra's one, two step. <laughs> Jill, I feel like uh, as a early 2000s club head, this was big. In the summer of 04. This was the jam. All right, guys, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will really help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store. Do that one, two step over to the app store. Give us the <laughs> review. Uh, also, thanks to all of you who have signed up for the Mo newsletter. We continue to see growth there. So that's been great. You can do that over at mo.news. And for those of you who like what we're doing here, you like all the uh, the podcast, the Instagram, the newsletter, you can join Mo News Premium as a way to support us over at mo.news slash premium. Gives you access to an extra podcast, extra Instagram account, uh, and the good feeling knowing that you're supporting some independent journalism here at Mo News. Again, Mo News Premium over at mo.news slash premium. All right. Bye, everybody. Later.
Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.